Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You podcast. This is Season 3, Episode 7, and uh, today we're coming to you, as almost always, from Colorado Springs, home of zero mosquitoes. Eat your heart out, Florida and Minnesota, where the mosquito is the state bird. I'm Terry, and I am the church ministries leader for the Alliance. Oh, and I'm Alan. I am from Pennsylvania, where we also have our share of mosquitoes. I work in church planting in both the state and the region as a whole. And church planting kind of uh, introduces our theme well today. And uh, sure does. we're talking about uh, multi-site, multi-campus type things, but also church planning with uh, Brian McMillan, whom we're just getting to know, yeah, one of our Alliance pastors on uh, Long Island. And so we're looking forward to kind of tapping into his expertise here on uh, multi-campus uh, churches that are reaching people for Christ, most importantly. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's our motivation always. So uh, sit back, relax, Sip on some pumpkin spice latte. Oh, my word. That's that's so overrated. <laughs> Here we go. Well, it's our pleasure to welcome Brian McMillan to the uh, podcast. Brian, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Glad to be able to be part of this. We uh, appreciate what you're doing at uh, Centerpoint Church, and we want to talk about uh, the multi-site church but uh, tell us first a little bit about your life journey, how you came to Christ, and uh, how you became an Alliance pastor. Yeah. So I grew up in a great Christian home. Mom and dad always loved the Lord. My dad was always an elder in every church we were part of. We moved about every four to five years, so uh, ended up in a lot of different churches. So I really, I remember giving my life to Christ when I was three, seven, nine, fourteen, eighteen. Um, it wasn't until we're glad it finally it took. <laughs> Sounds like yeah, you grew it wasn't up until I was nineteen that I finally um, really accepted Christ for myself, not for a parent or a Sunday yeah. school teacher, or a youth pastor. And at the time, we were going to First Alliance Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, that was my my church through high school. Uh, pastor Rick Crocker um, is still a hero of mine when it comes to the pastor I would like to be one day. Yeah. And and so so I had Alliance roots through that. Then moved to New York and went to Nyack College. And so uh, so there was a lot of Alliance history there for me. But yeah, it was when I, when it, it's when I was 19 that I finally really committed my life to Christ and didn't want to joke around anymore and just realized I needed him. And, yeah. uh, you know, all the knowledge was there because I grew up in it, but that was the time my heart connected to what it really was to, to follow Christ. Great. That's fantastic, man. I appreciate that. I can definitely relate to parts of that story for sure. Hey, so tell us uh, about some of the scoop of uh, of Centerpoint Church. You know, how did it start? How did you end up going to multi-site? Some of that kind of stuff. Yeah, so a lot there, right? Um, yeah. I actually had the privilege of founding Centerpoint Church. Uh, I was doing a college ministry at a local Baptist church, a great church. 
And uh, it had become the young adult group for the area, for Long Island here. And one day I wanted to do an outreach because evangelistic um, opportunities is really still my passion. And so I had this big event. We're doing it down an area here called Jones Beach. And only two people out of about 150 showed up. Mm. And so when I started asking my leaders, like, hey, why did no one come? They all said, well, we had other things going on. We had stuff at our church. And that's when I realized we had created a really good parachurch ministry. And people were involved in their own church. And the things that I was feeling stirred to do to reach Long Island, that had to come through the local church. It couldn't just be a parachurch. Yeah. And it was really out of that that birthed a desire to start uh, a church that I could lead to hopefully try to reach more people for Christ. Um, also, the church I was part of was a great church, um, pretty traditional, and I'd bring my friends to it, and they didn't really connect to it culturally. Um, and so I felt like I needed to start something that was a little bit more relevant, culturally speaking. And uh, th- those were really the things that kind of led me to start Center Point. And so we started meeting in 2000 with four people, just praying about if it's what God called us to do. I was 23, 22 or 23 at the time. We did that for about two years, just praying, building a launch team. Um, and then in January of 2002, we officially launched Centerpoint Church here in Massapequa, uh, New York. So that's kind of how the, the church got, got founded. And we've been doing this for 18 years. There has not been this huge growth moment that uh, that we've ever experienced. It has been slow and steady since the very beginning. It took five years to start averaging 200 people. There was no explosion. <laughs> it was just being really, really faithful for a really, really long time, uh, reaching person um, at a time, you know, through the process. So then we actually didn't start as an Alliance Church. We became an Alliance Church roughly year eight or nine of our existence. And that's because I ended up meeting up with our DS at the time, Bruce Terpstra. As I said before, I have a lot of Alliance history. And what I just heard the heart of the Metro District and his heart for reaching the area for Christ and starting new churches, I just knew that was something I wanted to be part of. And so uh, it was really the kingdom heart of Bruce that really kind of drew me to to the Alliance um, and to the you know, what I now consider my very strong family. So, yeah, I know there's a, another question in there. So why don't you remind me <laughs> what we were talking about? Tell, tell, us how, tell us how you kicked <laughs> into a multi-site from, uh, from starting Center Point as one church or one location. Uh, how did you kick into, yeah. uh, how did you kick into multi-site? And then, uh, you know, talk about how many sites you have now and anything that's okay. on, the, on the future horizon. So as the church had been growing, as I said, we're on Long Island, and like some other parts of the country, Long Island is just one of those extremely expensive areas. And our church has never been one that's also been financially crushing it. So we've always kind of been bringing in less money for our size. And a big part of that's because we we reach a lot of, of people for Christ, so there's a lot of new um uh, new salvations, people who come to Christ, one of the last things that gets converted is their wallet, right? <laughs> John Wesley, right? So, there, yeah, so there's that. But there's also, especially back then, we were reaching so many people in their late 20s, early 30s. The average home out here, you know, is $450,000 for a starter home. The taxes are $10,000 or so a month. Everyone's broke. So we had a building that could seat 220, and we we're doing four services. 
And we had just hit that capacity. We were no longer able to grow in the building we were in. And so for us, uh, multi-campus came out of a necessity to continue to reach people for Christ, but not having the space. Uh, we couldn't build a larger church. We didn't have the money. We didn't have the land. Most of the land here is developed anyway. So I mean, you're talking 10 to $15 million uh, to build a new church building that could seat maybe five or 600 people. So that was the start of examining and starting to figure out multi-site. And that was probably six years ago or so. And so we spent two years just really looking into it. God did provide us with a new building that we never imagined. It was a synagogue. And so we ended up buying a synagogue a couple towns down the road, just about 12 minutes. Um, it was a much larger place, so it could actually seat 600 people. It only cost us $1.8 which is really, really cheap out here. Yeah. And so we, we had a bigger space, but we quickly realized that even that we're starting to fill. And people were driving all over Long Island to come to Centerpoint. And Christians may drive, or people that have come out and had an experience and have come to Christ, they may drive that far, but most of the people you want to reach in your neighborhoods aren't going to drive. Yeah. True. Yeah. And our the thing that we say is we want to give everyone on Long Island multiple opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel, and our kind of our, our catchphrase hashtag is Brooklyn to Montauk. Hmm. So like uh, we have over 8 million people we want to reach. And having one big building in one location, still, even at this point, um, we, we still couldn't afford a larger facility than we have now. So you're quickly going to run out of space. Uh, millennials and a lot of other individuals don't want to be part of a really big church. And you have people driving all over, and it's too far for them to invite their friends and to really have a gospel presence there. So for us, multi-campus really it comes out of a desire to bring a gospel presence everywhere we can across Long Island so we can reach as many people as possible. I mean, it's just trying to say, how do we have the largest net possible to reach as many people as possible? And for us, we believe our call with that is to go multi-campus. Love it. So when did you start your second uh, campus and how many campuses do you have now? So we have four campuses currently. The very first campus that we launched, uh, I'm just double-checking here because I get my facts wrong all the time, um, was actually in um, 2015, so October 2015. So, yeah, we just celebrated our fourth year since we launched our second campus, right, the, the first after the main. Right. A year later, we launched our third campus, and that was very intentional. And then a year ago, we launched our fourth campus. And we went to two campuses very fast. It was in the plan right off the bat because most churches that, that kind of explore multi-campus, they'll do a second campus, and they most never get past that. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's really complex to do multi-campus, and we'll get into some logistics in a bit, I'm sure. But I really knew God wanted us to go multi-campus. And so, uh, so we put right in the, the plan as soon as we could. One year later, we're going to instantly go to that third campus so that our church knows this is our identity. This is who we are. We're changing every structure, everything we do at our church so that we can be a multi-campus church to go from Brooklyn to Montauk. And that really broke the mold for us then. Everyone knew, like, okay, we're doing this crazy thing. <laughs> so um, it just it changed our church as a result. So you're like, talking about a change in culture is what you're going for. So people saw that the new normal was 
having multiple locations to reach as many people as possible. Exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. the hardest people to change are the congregation. Like as a pastor, you may have the leadership and the um, the vision, but I mean, getting the church on board is always the trickiest thing when you're doing something new, as we all know. So, so for me, this was saying, no, guys, listen, we are all in, you know, and we're, we're uh, yeah, we're not turning back. That's cool, man. So talk a little bit about uh, how you actually do multi-say. You know, there's so many, you said, logistics behind it. Is it video? Is it live yeah. preaching? Worship teams? Campus bashes, whatever. You know, what is your basic strategy for pursuing it? Uh, so I want to reiterate, I spent two years researching this before we did it. Yeah. Um, this was not a, a quick thing. This wasn't just find one model and apply it to us. We, we really wrestled with our values and how they would play out in multi-site. Because you have, you really have two different extremes of multi-site. You have on the one side, churches that everything is exact. There's zero difference from yeah. campus to campus to campus. They're always all video. Everything is the same. There's no different programs. I mean, it is the color schemes the same. They even maybe have the same smell in their buildings. Like it, it <laughs> is a just a clone of one to another, right? right? On the other extreme, you have multi-congregational where they may share a name and some values, but almost everything else is unique to that that location. And so, so that's more of the multi-congregational. I would say that we kind of fall somewhere in the middle. And if I was to err, I'd say that 60% of what we do is consistent. And then 40% is contextualized based on the location that our campus is located. And we actually have a, a, a pretty lengthy playbook. It's about 110 pages right now of all of those different things. We, we use the, the red, yellow, green um, you know, stoplight is kind of our indicator. So if something is red, you can't do it. If it's yellow, just get permission. If it's green, you don't have to ask, just go, you can do whatever you want. And we have a entire playbook that lists what all of those different things are in every ministry from kids to worship so that everyone can be on the same page and know what lane they're allowed to be in and what those guardrails are. But when it comes to our, our service, a lot of times what we're really asking is what does a Sunday look like? And so for us, our worship is always live. I don't know any multi-campus church that has succeeded that doesn't have live worship. Uh, that part seems to be pretty mandatory across the board. We generally do the same sets, and occasionally we'll let our, our worship leaders choose something different. The teaching, I do a combination of video, of broadcast, as well as letting our campus pastors teach live. So we do about a 40% video on Sundays and 60% live. And when it's live, we're still doing the same text and direction, but every campus pastor gets to create their own message because uh, preaching is an art form. And um, anyone who's an artist doesn't simply want to copy someone else's art. They, they, they want to express themselves their own way. So I just make sure that we're all in the same big picture, the same main text. Uh, we now preach more exegetically as a result of going multi-campus. Interesting insight. Yeah, and that really changed because I used to probably preach from seven different verses back in the day because most of our, our messages are topical. I would say we're topically exegetical now in our preaching style. But we use one main text this way. We're all making sure that we're saying the same basic thing because the text is going to say what the text is going to say. But as a result of that, yeah, I get to, to speak to all of our church 40% of the year through broadcast then the rest of the year, they're still hearing their campus pastor speaking life into them. Uh, their pastor is their pastor because they're a preacher. Um, they're not simply an administrator of a service like you would be if it's all video. 
and that's not wrong at all, by the way. I, I, I'm really convinced that any of these ways of doing it is right. This is just the way that we landed on. But it gives a lot more – it puts a lot more on a campus pastor's plate because sure. they have to be a good pastor, teacher, preacher, <laughs> uh, you know, some extent administrator because they're – you know, they're still right there in the thick of things doing most of the work, too. I really appreciate you living in that tension of how yeah. do we keep that going? Because I think sometimes people live at the extremes, so they don't have to wrestle with that. So I appreciate you stepping into that. That's really good. Do you ever preach live at the other locations or do you always preach from the main the first location? I do not, especially, you know, we're already looking for a fifth and sixth campus that wasn't scalable. Mm. And so I go to the campuses. I'll do the announcements when I'm there. Uh, I may even give a little pep talk in that time. But I never preach live in any other location because I don't want people to think uh, that that's going to be part of their experience at Centerpoint because it's just not going to. So I preach 60% of the time live at Massapequa, the original. And, and you know we never use this term main campus internally right. you know, for our people, but at that campus – but I never preach live at the other campuses. Uh, I try to be present as much as I can, but even that isn't scalable too much. So, um, so yeah, I do what I can. So have all of these campuses been like totally new sites or is there some sort of revitalization of existing churches involved or a little bit of both? Yeah, this is what gets me really excited. Two of them have been churches that were at the point where they were probably going to close down mm. um, and they became mergers. And so we ended up merging with two different churches. One was a, a church plant charismatic church from the early 80s. The other was a Southern Baptist church. Nice. And uh, these, these buildings would have been most likely sold and maybe to a church, maybe not. But as a result, we were able to revitalize them. They probably were both around 30 to 35 people when we took over. And now they're, um, you know, 350 and 250, respectively, on a, on a given Sunday. Um, the other one, our Long Beach campus, that one was actually a completely new plant. We rented a synagogue that we used on use on Sundays, and uh, that was our sec- our third campus. Um, and that one we just started from scratch. Yeah. So walk us through some of the key steps of launching a new site. If there's a pastor or leader out there listening, where they're kind of considering this, or they're you know coming up to. Uh, being full in their building and trying to determine what to do. Yeah. So, so walk us through some of the key steps of, uh, of launching a new site. So I, the first one, and I would argue maybe the most important one, is as the lead pastor, is this really something that based on your personality and leadership style, you really want to do? I think a lot of times as lead pastors, we're excited about numeric growth all right, if we're being honest with ourselves, there's there's always that desire for that. We, you know, but not every personality type can handle multi-campus because you can't control it perfectly. <laughs> when, you know, you you have to. Pastors have want to let control. What are you talking about? Go. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and you have to deal with messy and. You know, not everyone's going to know you personally. So maybe it's a relational thing. Maybe it's a control thing. Uh, maybe it's just a, uh, um, there, there's a lot within yourself. And I find that a lot of guys start doing multi-campus and after they have two or three, they actually realize they hate it and they either pull them back in or they release them because something about you has to be willing to, to let things go. You have to be more open-handed. And if you're too close fist, uh, it's going to wreck you emotionally. 
and I had to wrestle through a lot through this uh, personally. So, so I think the first one is just, can you handle it? And not in a capacity way, but just, are you built to let things go um, and let a lot of other leaders rise up and not even know what's happening in your church? Because if you're not, you can't do multi-campus. Yeah. Hmm. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate earlier, you know, you talked about the two years of thinking through this before you actually uh, made a decision. So at, during that two years, how did you decide between, you know, multi-site or just planting other churches and sending people out? Yeah. So we do both. We're actually planting three churches this year. Wow. Uh, we have two in <laughs> Queens and one in a town called Babylon. Um, Interesting. So for me, yeah, I love it. And it's yeah. literally Babylon. Um, so for me, it's not either or. A lot of times it is. But we have so many people to reach here that when I find church planters, which are very different personality types and campus pastors, but when I find a true entrepreneurial, spiritual entrepreneurial church planter, uh, they would be deeply frustrated being a campus pastor. So we want to raise them up and send them. It's true. Um, they have more of that apostolic gifting, and we don't want to hold them back at all. So again, yeah, this year we're launching three churches, no campuses. Next year we're hoping to uh, do our, our fifth campus. So, so for me, I'm I'm excited to do both. As long as it's kingdom expansion, I'm all in. That's beautiful, and I you know I appreciate that. It does take all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people, and I appreciate the thought and intentionality you put into that. So, uh, Brian, uh, stepping back a little bit on the launching piece, wondering how you go about recruiting folks who are going to step out of the mothership and head out on one of these yeah. uh, new ventures. How, how does that happen? So going back to our mission statement, to give everyone on Long Island multiple opportunities to hear and respond to Jesus, uh, we hit that every single week. I mean, our goal, our job at Centerpoint is to raise up not simply disciples, but disciples that are missionaries. Amen. And so our people, if you're part of Centerpoint, I mean, you you get hit over the head with this <laughs> nonstop. <laughs> so when it comes time to start campuses, it's just an extension of everything that we do. Great. Um, again, as a church planter, we started the church not to reach Christians. I mean, there's only 3% Christian evangelical Christians on the island anyway. Um, it's to reach people that are far from God. So a lot of our people are excited. I actually, all the time... Um, I was going to say every Sunday, but that would be an exaggeration. But all the time, people are saying, hey, when are you going to start a campus over where we live? You know, when are you going to start one more out east or towards the city or in Queens? Or our people are excited about multi-campus because they know that when we start a campus, people can come to Christ. I don't know the statistics offhand, but they always say that when you start new churches, church plants, that's when you see the most conversions, right? The most people coming to faith. I find the true, the same is true with multi-campus. So when we start a campus, baptisms go up, salvations go up, and our people are excited about it because now they get to bring their friends and family from their community to their local church of center point, their local campus. So raising up leaders and people actually has not been a challenge for us always had enough people willing to go, hungry for it. A lot of people who weren't serving start to serve. Uh, every time we start a campus, more people are serving because we're losing some from one, starting something new, and suddenly you have 100 new people that are serving that weren't before. So there's a lot of really exciting stuff with that, but it's it's the mission. If multi-campus is simply to make your church bigger, it's going to fail. If multi-campus is to reach people for Christ, 
uh, people can get excited about that. That's great. So, Brian, that brings us, you know, really to the motivation question. And, um, you know, we're pastors. We are human as well. And uh, we all know that it, we wrestle with some of our motivations. Sometimes we want to be successful, uh, but we also want to be fruitful with Jesus. And those things can battle back and forth in our hearts. Uh, so what do you do as a leader and to help the other leaders in your church to make sure that your driving motivation is to be faithful and fruitful with Jesus and his mission and not just to be successful? Yeah. So this is a real thing. I, I hate when sometimes we as pastors downplay it. We have like the false humility, like, oh, no, it's all for the glory of God. And it's just lip service. It's not it's not actually what's going on in our heart because we're actually we're loving the praise. We're, we're loving the accolades and the professional um, response that we're getting, because this is also our career. So there's something very, very real there. And for me, if I was to fall, and we have hundreds of ways we could fall, right? But if, if there's one thing that I think the devil is really going to use to bring me down, it would be the desire for glory. Even saying that now, being as honest as I'm trying to be, I, I say that because that's how I, I try to keep myself in check is to really say, like, this is part of who I am. And I think it's part of who all of we, all of us are. But it's there. And it's something that I, I, my elders, I always tell them, like, hey, if you guys ever think that I'm starting to do things to simply, A, grow the church, because there's a difference between growing the church and trying to reach people for Jesus. Amen. There is a difference there. That's right. I, I don't want to say that I can definitively do, do this, but I can often, if I'm hanging out with a pastor or working with their church— I can see a difference in the motivation if they're trying to do evangelism to grow their church or if they're trying to do evangelism because they don't want to see people go to hell. There's there, there's these little—the structure may look the same, but there's little nuances that's happening that you can see the soul or the heartbeat of the church as to why is it actually doing what it's doing. So we just try to be very real and raw about it. We don't want to ask ourselves the question, what's it going to be for the church to grow more? We still want to ask the question, you know, what is God calling us to? Because there's going to be seasons that can be pruning. There can be seasons where you're going to do some things that are going to be challenging and people are going to not want to be part of the church anymore. And for me, I just have to always be really honest with myself and with those that are closest to me and asking what is the motivation that I'm going through right now? With that, I think some people jump into multi-site because they think their church can grow quicker, faster, and that's never the right motivation to yeah. do anything in ministry, let alone multi-site. And a lot of times when churches are trying simply to grow, those are the campuses that often don't work. Maybe in part it's the motivation, but it needs to be about people, <laughs> and it can't simply be about that bottom line number growing. Yeah. Hey, so in the last couple of minutes we have here, Brian— I wonder if there's a story of life transformation uh, out of your uh, Centerpoint Church ministry that you could just share with us as an encouragement and uh, to the praise of the Lord. Amen. As in like a specific individual yeah. or something that's kind of happened in that regard? Correct. Man, there are there are so many different stories that are going on right now. Um, actually, it's funny because I was just saying to some of the staff two days ago that I think one of the things we do really poorly is celebrating the stories of life transformation. Yeah. And then you asked me this question, <laughs> and you just put a little salt in the wound. So trying I, to help I really you. appreciate I'm trying to help you, you here, Brian. It's, it is equipping awesome. you. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, in the last um, the last two years, we we've had over 250 people get baptized. Praise God. And each one of those has an incredible story. 
I can't even think of a specific one off the top of my head because um, there are so many and it is so remarkable. But yeah, even today we had our, our, one of our staff meetings, we have multiple staff meetings uh, on Tuesdays and we were just talking about a family that actually just found an ad we did in the penny saver back in the day. I mean, it's not even, you know, this wasn't even Google or Facebook or Instagram and the penny saver as we put in an ad about our church and um, they've been now coming for eight years, growing slowly, but their family was on the brink of divorce, and their family unit is stronger than it's ever been. Wow. There was a, a severe addiction issue that has been overcome. There's three kids that are all active and serving in the church, and the family is getting baptized together next week. Fantastic. Um, and it's just little stories like that that— we, we were just saying this morning, this is why we do what we do, because we're seeing the power of God um, changing not just people, but com- uh, but entire family units. So so it's pretty remarkable just to be able to be part of that. Amen. That is beautiful stuff. Thank you, Brian. We love what you're doing. Kudos to you and your team for uh, leading in the way that you're leading and being focused on what you're focused on. May the Lord continue to use you in uh, seeing lives changed through the power of the gospel. Uh, there on Long Island. We appreciate you taking the time to join us today and uh, being a part of the Equipping You podcast. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Brian. Alan, I reflect on that uh, podcast episode with gratitude to the Lord that uh, he's gifted us in the alliance with leaders like Brian McMillan, who is not just doing one thing in one place, but really seeing the church multiply, seeing disciples multiply what's what stuck out to you in our conversation with Brian well what stuck out to me is I appreciated uh, his intentionality with his leaders to wrestle through why they're doing it uh, appreciated him sharing his heart at the end there uh, you know not wanting it to be just about the church growing but always saying are we doing this to reach more lost people that was loud and clear yeah I appreciated that they recognized there's more than one ways to skin a cat, as my uh, co-host here would probably say something like that. Who wants to skin a cat? I, well, well that's, that's another conversation <laughs> for another day. But I will say the fact that they're doing multi-site and planting churches shows, uh, you know, multiplication has many facets, and we want to see that happen. And I appreciate that they're working in both directions. Indeed. So uh, what should folks do, Alan, if they uh, like this podcast and think others should listen to it? They should definitely share it on social media. They should email it to a friend. They should share it uh, with other church leaders through text or email or whatever they want. Uh, Shout it from the rooftops if they want. We're great with that. Absolutely. So uh, we look forward to joining you again next time on Equipping You Podcast. Thanks for being a part of today's uh, journey with us. Meanwhile, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You Podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.